Welcome to Just Punk Enough. I am your host, Andy Harrison. You are joining me because you're awesome. Today we talk to Joe Queer. This episode originally aired uh, September 28th, 2019. Joe was so awesome. He, We recorded the interview and uh, the first time it didn't work out. And he did it again because the dude is awesome. Um, I haven't seen him after this and I really wish I've gone to a queer show to actually talk to this guy in person because Joe Queer easily... One of the coolest dudes in punk rock. Enjoy. So, um, uh, tell me where you're from and where you grew up. Okay, well, now I live in Marietta, Georgia, but, um, you know, we grew up in, I grew up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, yeah. You know, seacoast of New Hampshire. There's only 12 miles of coastline between Maine and New Hampshire, in uh, Massachusetts, in that whole little area right there, Portsmouth, Hampton. Yeah. Northampton Rye. That's where Wimpy's from. Okay. Uh, we're all from the Seacoast area, yeah. Yeah. So when did you like start getting into to music? Like what age were you kind of drawn to, uh, you know, music? Well, you know, I played trumpet for, for um, you know, like 12 or 14 years. I played from the time I was in, in, in third or fourth grade up till through high school yeah so i realized i was pretty good at it but i realized i couldn't play the staccato notes so i realized somewhere around this sophomore year i realized i was only going so far with trumpet because i love playing it i love <laughs> yeah. playing it but i realized my limitations yeah. and um i couldn't do the staccato notes and so i picked up guitar i got a couple of lessons off um the chorus teacher dick ray who's now the principal of that school when it kind of high school in hampton yeah. and um, learned a few rudimentary chords and because i had been playing music for so long it was pretty easy for me to pick up a, another instrument yeah certainly guitar i could read music and you know i understood chords and harmonies and all that stuff so that's where i started yeah that's what happened there yeah so when did you um when were you like first exposed to punk rock like when did that kind of get into your your brain like what bands did you hear and and uh yeah tell me about that well you know i'm 62 now so when i was in high school i would wash dishes down at hampton beach kind of a touristy place hampton beach casino is this cool place we opened up for the ramones there i used to see the ramones all the time there yeah. but in the 60s uh, Led Zeppelin played there oh, and okay. um, Jethro Tull and they'd have these big rock shows. The Beach Boys played there. So um, so anyway, I would be down at Hampton Beach washing dishes during the summers. And the, and the guys there, the owner's sons, Bobby and Jackie, who I'm still friends with to this day, they were a little older than me and they were really into David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. You know, that oh, album had yeah. just come out around then, you know? Right. And so we, you know, suffered his city, man. We just played the shit out of that that one <laughs> summer. I, I can't listen to that album without remembering where they yeah. lived down at the beach. And, and so I got into that and through David Bowie, I got into Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. Yeah. And then I got into Mott the Hoople and then Iggy and the Stooges and um t-rex and um you know of course i was like the bubblegum stuff yeah and um uh, you know when i grew up i'd have my little am radio and i'd deliver the paper and i'd listen to like the am wrko 68 rko the am station in boston it was just like non-stop supremes you know the turtles it was just non-stop killer music and that's what yeah. i grew up on so i always had that ear for that type of music and um so I'm listening to, to, you know, in high school, like Aladdin saying Diamond Dogs, Bowie. Um, anyway, the Ramones come out and then Tulu was living in in New York City. Yeah. And he got their first album and he played that. The first song was uh, uh, Beat on the Beat on the Brat. That was it. Yeah. And um, so it really struck a chord with us. And so <laughs> going from Bowie and Ziggy Stardust and all that going yeah. over to 
punk rock in the Sex Pistols album came out and then the Clash and the Damned and yeah. you know it was just a natural progression because the Stooges you know they're a punk rock band yeah and totally. um you know Brain Capers by Martha Hoople that's a punk rock album really right. and um so like like I know the guys in the Clash Mick Jones they were they were all big Martha Hoople freaks oh, and okay. so it was a real natural progression once I heard the Ramones and um, I remember talking to Johnny Ramone backstage once and like, even though I was kind of a lazy guitar player, I just wasn't in it. I love Jeff Beck and I saw him and, and yeah. many guitar heroes, but I um, Pink Floyd and stuff and the who and, but uh, I, I just didn't want to you know sit down and learn all the, the lead guitar parts. Yeah. And um, Johnny said, you know, I, I like Jeff Beck and all that stuff, but it's too hard. I'm not going to, I can't sit down and play like that. And, yeah. and it struck a chord in me. I, I, maybe it was bad that he told me that backstage just yeah. in passing, but I, it always stuck with me, that work ethic. And I was yeah. like, he goes, I don't really practice. I, I rehearse to get ready for a tour to build my stamina, but I don't, you know, unless I'm working on a song or something, I don't, I don't practice. And I really stuck yeah. with that mantra. And, um, so, but anyway, that was a real natural progression yeah. going you, from Bowie and all that shit into punk rock. Yeah. Do you, do you, so you remember the first time you saw the Ramones? Yeah, it was at the Rat in Boston. I saw them down there. Yep. And was yep. it, was it, was it mind blowing? Like, was it a lot different than listening to them? Like you finally get to see them and you were just kind of blown away or the sound was like wasn't that? that the, the sound wasn't that good, so, yeah. um, you know, it was just kind of like I was still going from this kid who grew up going to see on weekends at the Boston Garden. You'd see everything from 10 years after to the Steve Miller band to yeah. Jethro Tull to 10 years after to The Who. You know, we'd <laughs> see any any shows that came, you'd go on weekends, you know. Yeah. And um, so going to clubs and being right there with the musicians and seeing them drink at the bar afterwards and stuff was was pretty cool. Um, I didn't remember too much. I remember the energy about it. And yeah. then I started appreciating them more, even though I knew a few of their songs, the first right. album. Appreciated it more when I saw them bigger places, like with Blondie at the Orpheum, the Talking Heads played oh, with cool. them. I would see the Ramones pretty much. There were bigger places, though. And then I started really latching on to them um yeah. the club i just i was kind of young and it was still you know i was looking around i didn't have the attention span god gave a sparrow so i'm looking at <laughs> well i remember being down there i think jonathan richmond was there i'm pretty sure oh, wow. and, you know it was just like all musicians yeah which so um i don't remember too too much but i, yeah. I remember the power of that i remember the you know i saw the police there at the rat i saw the cramps oh, wow. um you know, I saw a ton of bands there. And um, how were the Police early on? They were good. They were great. Yeah. Uh, WBCN Oedipus was this DJ there, and he broke an early version of Roxanne. Yeah. And they started playing it in the U.S. first in Boston. So yeah. um, not the album cut. Right. So they came over and they played on a Wednesday night or Tuesday night or something, and and I went because my friend's band. The Vinny band was playing. Yeah. He was a surfer guy, Ralph Fatello. So me and my friend Burtz went down and another surfer guy. I was hanging out with all the surfers. And um, we went down to see the Vinny band. And then I knew Roxanne. I was like, oh, that's a cool song. Yeah. And it was before they had hit it big, obviously. Because yeah. there was only about 43 people there, man. Yeah, there was no yeah. one there. And um, I... Uh, I had a little police badge on my leather jacket that I had stolen or something. I don't know. And, and uh, Andy Summers said, oh, that's cool, you know, whatever. And so, I, oh, I was like, that's the guy in the police. Yeah, cool. I said, you guys want to smoke a joint? So I went out front on the sidewalk and smoked a joint with Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland, which oh, one wow. of these days I want to meet those guys and tell them about that. But uh, that's but cool, they man. were they were pretty good. They were really together. I was impressed with them. They were quite together. Yeah. yeah. There were a strong band three piece. I, I a lot of power. Yeah. So, so I remember that much. Yeah. So at this time were you like starting to form a band and jamming with your friends or were you just messing around or 
Wimpy, I think around then, yeah, I was playing with my friends. We had this really good bass player friend, Don, who passed away, and he was a great bass player, and so he taught me how to like what we would call record copy, you yeah. know, learn licks off the records. We'd right. pick up the needle, and we'd, you know, put it down here, and we'd learn. Yeah. That's how he was a very, yeah. very good bass player. Matter of fact, when we moved out west to Venice Beach, um, he tried out for Oingo Boingo, and they wanted him oh, to wow. play. Yes, wow. and... Um, but unfortunately, Don was a bad alcoholic, and um, he died early on um, because, uh, you know, he bought a motorcycle and was drunk driving it and got oh, killed. Man. But, um, yeah, but anyway, yep, Oingo Boingo. He said, oh, some band called Oingo Boingo want me to play. <laughs> and I said, well, well, go for it, Don. He goes, yeah, I'd rather play with you and Wimpy because yeah. we were all living out in Venice Beach at the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, so we were jamming around early bands like that. Um, me, Donna, Wimpy, and we would play Gigi Allen. That's when I met Gigi. Uh-huh. I would see him at Ramon shows and stuff. And then we, yeah, we had little, little bands. I don't know. We'd call it the Falling Spikes, and we had yeah. like these long, not railroad ties, but they're like big nails. I don't know if you've ever put gutters up on the house where they got those kind of big nails. Oh, okay. They're lightweight that they use on gutters, but these were actual nails. Yeah. And Don's dad was a, a machinist, so. He took the nails. They're about friggin' eight, ten inches long. Oh, yeah. So he took the the nails to work, and he put holes in them. And then we got little chains or necklaces, and we put them around <laughs> our necks. And you know, we only did a few gigs, but we'd be hopping yeah. around, and the f- things would be poking us in the eyes. <laughs> and, and if anybody laughed at us, we'd call oh, them guys and go smoke oh, a joint. Man. You know, that's how it was back yeah. then. You know, so uh, but we had fun, and so you know, bit by bit. Uh, Wimpy and I were in a cover band for, you know, a few months and then we, I met Tulu through him and then, you know, we were kind of all talented musicians. Wimpy was a good drummer and, um, Tulu was a great songwriter. And, um, so we kind of sort of got going with the queers, you know, after listening to the Ramones, I guess. Yeah. We really got serious around 80, 81 where we did a couple of seven inches. Yeah. And so you did seven inches before you recorded Grow Up? We did, um, yes, yes, yeah. I think it was 1980, 81, we recorded the first EP, the Love Me EP, it's called. Uh And then around 83, I think we um, recorded um, the Kicked Out of the Weeblows, This Place Sucks EP. And then after that, Tula went, moved to New York and. I, I kind of wanted to move ahead musically where I wanted to sing. Wimpy was, he's a great singer, but he's only good for the, for the punk rock type stuff, you yeah, know? And, um, sure. so we were writing more melodic songs. We had called bonehead. And, um, so anyway, I wanted to move ahead. So I was like, Oh, we're trying to find a singer, but I was kind of self-conscious, but then, <laughs> you know, I hooked up with Jay Razzler, this guy, Kevin Kesey. He was from Portsmouth yeah. Met him through Tulu he was living in Boston, so I ventured down there, and then Jay Razzle was in DMZ, who I really respected, great Boston band. Uh-huh. They were on Sire Records. And um, met Hugh, and so I gravitated down there, and we still called ourselves the Queers. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Jay was like, you just sing, man. You sing fine. And so that's how I started <laughs> singing, because we couldn't find a singer. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was when I, I kind of moved on from Tulu and Wimpy. I, I, Tulu had left, but I missed Wimpy, but it was just... I wanted to, you know, branch out and do more Ramonesy yeah. songs. And that's when we recorded the stuff off Grow Up around okay. Boston. Yeah. Shaken Street Records get involved. Hugh was in this band called The Two Saints with Joe Mazzari and this guy Marky Muscle, and I'm still friends with Joe Mazzari to uh-huh. this day. I can he still text me. <laughs> um, and they were on this Two Saints. Excuse me, the Shaken Street Records. The Two Saints yeah. were and in England, and they met this guy Pilly, and that's how Hugh got out there. And the guy, you know, said, "Hey, I'd love to put a Queers record out." And he did. I don't yeah. know, 500 copies or something oh, like yeah. that. Not not too too many you know right so yeah that's Uh, how that happened so how then how did lookout get involved with that 
Because, I mean, they put out that album as well, right? Well, after we had done Love Songs and Beat Off, um, we went back, went in the studio. We didn't have any good, solid recordings of a lot of un, unreleased, unrecorded queer songs. Yeah. Uh, Tula was out of the picture. So um, we, me, Hugh, and B-Face, um, after we, had, you know, we got going on Lookout, we went in and we did Day Late and a Dollar Short. Uh-huh. And... Um, and then I talked to Lookout, and because and there was only 500 copies that grow up, nobody uh, okay. really except ultra collectors knew about yeah. that release. So they said, hey, we'll put it out again. So, oh, so okay. we so remixed it. Yeah, and then somewhere in there, we did, we released the um, Daylight and a Dollar Short and Grow Up, because we were selling anything with our name on it. And yeah. it, it was pretty good, you know, it was, it was different stuff. I mean, I... If I had my druthers, I probably would have gone back and redone Grow Up stuff because it was done at different studios and different oh, sessions. Right. And um, yeah. it's real hit or miss. Yeah. And we were playing much tighter at that time. But, uh, you know, by the time we were on Lookout and did some touring. But um, it is what it is. It's a kind of cool thing. Jay Rasler certainly had a big part of Grow Up. Yeah. We were really playing then together. And he did the little Johnny Thunders type leads and fills okay. and yeah, grow up. I mean, excuse me, on Burger King Queen on Love, 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 and yeah. and I don't want to get involved with you, and and so that was our set for a long time around Boston. Yeah. We played all that stuff, met her at the Rat, and so um, yeah, it was fun. It's still one of my favorite albums, even though sound wise it's not that great. But it was a you know you kind of had the you know I felt the songwriting was moving ahead. You know, yeah. it wasn't kicked out of the Wee Blows. I love that stuff, right. but I was yeah. like, dude, we're doing better stuff. <laughs> and then Joey Ramone said. He wanted to record Love, 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 and he liked Goodbye, California. And so I was like, wow. hey, cool, man. Yeah. Booberella, that was another big song. So I was yeah. like, you know, I felt the songwriting was getting better. So Yeah, you're doing something right. You know? Yeah, right, exactly. So after Grow Up, how did uh, you guys get on Lookout Records? Well, we were hanging out at the... Um, you know, at my restaurant, we we um, I'd work six days a week, and then Beeface and Hugh washed dishes for me. And yeah. on Sundays we were closed, so that was the day the queers would get together and go down in the the bar downstairs. It was a smaller place, yeah. And um, we'd rehearse there, you know, drink the draft beer for free, yeah, right. get fish faced, and we'd play pinball and <laughs> and write songs. And yeah. a lot of the love song stuff was written right then. And um, so we'd go up to UNH. And um, B-Face, we, we knew the DJs up there, Marna and a few of the other gals and guys. And so that's where we first heard Weasel, Screeching Weasel, Boogada. Yeah. And we immediately loved it. You know, yeah. I, I love that. I think I mentioned that before when we were talking. Um, yeah. Excuse me. As soon as we, we saw the album and we saw the song, I Hate Let's Up and I go, B-Face, I love <laughs> these guys already. I love them. And, um, so, um, that's, so we, we, um, I wrote a letter to Ben Weasel and, uh, sent him a cassette tape of the grow up stuff. And he yeah. really liked Burger King queen. And then they were broken up for a little while then. And then he had got back together. They did my brain hurts. And then uh-huh. Larry called us, Ben talked to him and said, Hey man, you gotta, you know, I want to produce this band, the queers. And we were the. Weasel and, and us were the first two bands not from California on Lookout. Oh, wow. And um, so that's how it happened. Larry called us, and he liked Deborah Jean and Daydreaming. We sent a, a demo of a lot of the stuff, and he heard the Grow Up stuff. And yeah. So, you know, it all he liked that kind of poppy stuff. So the Grow Up stuff, um, you know, it all kind of fit in on Lookout. So um, yeah. that's that's how we got on there. Yeah, through Ben. Yeah. So the love songs for the retarded, did Ben help? Uh, with the recording of that, or was that just you guys in mass? No, Ben was there. He produced that record. Yeah, oh, okay. he was there. Yeah, we we did it. He was on methadone at the time, so he could only be in town. He couldn't get take homes because he kept coming up with dirty urine. So yeah. he flew out. I think Saturday we got there Friday. We drove out in the van. Me, Beefface, and my roommate Harlan, who played the lead on Night of the Livid Queers, I think, and uh-huh. then. Um, we drove out, Hugh flew in, we got there on a Friday and then Hugh flew in Saturday and arrived at the studio about two in the afternoon and he had to fly out, you know, he had to leave about 10 in the morning Sunday to go back down, catch his flight and go back. So 
I mean, less than 24 hours. So it was like we had everything set up, yeah. you know, and off we went. But we knew these songs like the back of our guys. Oh, all, right. You know, we had played them drunk, sober, yeah. whatever. We knew them. We, <laughs> that's what we were playing. And so we went right through it. But um, yeah. yeah, but Ben produced it. Yeah, he yeah. was there. It was a vapid was there. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So That's cool, man. So yeah. how did the, uh, that Ramones covers album come about? Because that was after this one, correct? Yeah, at the time, it seems funny to say it now, but we didn't have enough stuff to sell. We needed more stuff to sell at the merch table. So yeah. I reluctantly, because I didn't feel we could improve on the Ramones albums. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, they were just, to me, perfect. Yeah. I just didn't think we could take the songs anywhere. Uh, yeah. I reluctantly said, all right, do it. And Ben, you know, we had fun. Me, B-Face, yeah, yeah, this kid, sure. Jay, was on drums and, and Ben. And we just kind of did it in one day type thing and did it real quick. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, but I, I was never too excited about it. Cause I just yeah. didn't think we added anything to any songs really. Yeah. But was that yeah. a, that was a Ben thing though, right? Yes. Yep. Ben came he, in and he produced that thing. Yep. Could, well, didn't he, he put those albums together? I mean, there were a few, right? I don't know uh, who was quarterback in that whole uh, thing, okay. but, um, I just know he got us going on, yeah. on the first one. Yeah. That's how that all came about. Yeah. So, yeah. So, did you could you tell, you know, after you guys got on Lookout, that first album that your the crowds were getting bigger and the tours were getting better or was it was it noticeably different or was it just kind of the same? Oh no. No, no, no. We did one tour with Weasel and that was very hit or miss yeah. out to the West Coast and back. Yeah. Though we had some killer shows. And then we did a tour with Rancid. Uh, and most of those shows were good. Yeah. And then we, you know, went out on our own and I booked the tour out west and back. We had a lot of hit or miss yeah. um, back then. And then through Matt Freeman, I, we, I don't know, that tour kind of sucked. And then through Matt Freeman, we met Margie at Do It Booking. And so uh -huh. she started booking us and um, she was friends with that Stormy. And so, yeah. Um, we were getting bigger and bigger, and so I think that was the one dog tour we did. But even then, we had some great shows. Atlanta yeah. was great, and um, and then we were just we were getting booked, and it was getting bigger and bigger. So that's how it worked. So yeah. we we really, except for that maybe that first tour I booked, we um we were knock on wood doing, you know, have always done pretty good. Really, it was yeah. growing bigger and bigger. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. So, yeah, I mean, I can imagine, like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's it's getting bigger and bigger. Like, how awesome that would be, just, just that feeling of, you know. Well, but you know, we got together, and we had so much fun when we were drinking on Sundays and playing at Joe's Place. That was the name of my restaurant. Yeah. And so, all of a sudden, we're all starving. I would take, I work <laughs> six doubles. I work yeah. 90 hours a week, and... um and none of us had any money. And, um, you know, all of a sudden we got the first royalty check was I got was 4,200 bucks for love yeah. songs. Wow. And it was like winning the lottery. <laughs> and so all of a sudden we went from this band and we were just drinking, drinking, drinking every show and all that yeah. stuff to, you know, showing up on a Tuesday night in Mankato, Minnesota with a last minute show. And there'd be 250, 300 kids there. Yeah. And, we were we were screwed up you know we we're yeah. drunk so yeah. um it was uh it, it was a bit of a learning curve for us yeah and um so it was i don't know unfortunately we were drinking and we started we didn't enjoy it as much as we could really unfortunately right. it was exciting to me but i don't know they just we never got as long uh, clicked as much as um we should have uh, where it ended up, you know, we had a, four, a three album deal from from Mr. Brett and Epitaph on the table in 97, yeah. right after Don't Back Down. And we drove out to Chicago to do three shows. We only did two, but we had three shows lined up. And we drove out, me, B-Face, and Hugh. And all we did was fight. I didn't fight so much because, you know, I said, hey, man, they flew us out there. Yeah. Epitaph did out west. And we shook hands on a three album deal and they're going to send the contract. And, and then Hugh and B-Face didn't want to do it. And I was like... I, I knew we had hit the high water mark on Lookout. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I said, you guys, we have gone as far as we're going. We'll still sell albums. We'll still do great. But it's time to go conquer the fat epitaph side of the street. Yeah. And, um, 
And so they didn't want to do it. And where we should have been three, the three happiest guys in the world, where we got a three album deal from Epitaph, where they would have advanced us 40 or 50 grand an album. Yeah. Um, not that we're going to take it, but, um, you know, we're arguing. And I was yeah. like thinking to myself, this is crazy. Uh, Look, yeah. we've been at Rolling Stone. We've been on MTV. We're <laughs> drawing big crowds. We're getting royalty yeah. checks. And these guys are calling me or signing. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the problem was we're all drunks and druggies yeah. and, and messed up and, <laughs> And yeah, it's like, you know, yeah. the whole thing that's going around is, yo, queer's an asshole. And, yeah. you know, I get blamed for everything. And it's right. like, well, I was, yeah, I was a fuck up, but I did the best I could. And I got us a three album deal from Epitaph and on Lookout, we toured and, and had vans and, you know, yeah. had, I got, you know, we were doing damn good is what I'm saying. And yeah. um, so nobody seemed to appreciate it. And um, so it kind of sucked, and yeah. uh, for me, unfortunately, where we were doing really well. But I'll be honest with you, it wasn't until Hugh got a brain tumor, and then B-Face left and never showed up again. And oh, I started man. playing with Chris Fields on bass, Dangerous uh -huh. Dave, both from John Cougar Concentration oh, Camp. Right. Yeah. Dave was on guitar, <laughs> and um, we had this guy Steve on drums for a tour or two. And um, Steve wasn't as good as Hugh. Uh, Dave, Dangerous Dave's adequate on vocals and guitar rhythm, but yeah. Chris Fields on bass was a light years ahead of how we were playing with B-Face, which is no knock on B-Face, but Chris yeah. was just a better bass player. Yeah. And, um, and B-Face would probably tell you that, you know, he, he, he knows he was no great shakes, but we took the music up a, a huge level from where me, B-Face, and Hugh had been playing. Huge. It was yeah. like light years, light years ahead of where we were and, um, you know, we had Don't Back Down out, and then B-Face didn't want to sing backup vocals, so we're doing a three-piece band. We've got Don't Back Down's our biggest album, and nobody's singing backup vocals with me. Uh -huh. So how am I doing Don't Back Down and Janelle Janelle and, you know, B-Face only wanted to sing on This Place Sucks and kicked out of the Weeblos because yeah. he was worried about looking punk, uh -huh, which is, man. you know, no knock on a kid. That was just what no, he was yeah. into, you know? Yeah, and totally. I was like, dude, man, look at Flea. Flea and the Chili Pepper. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah, he's in like a funk band and all that stuff, but he's the punkest fucker out there. You yeah. know what I mean? Flea yeah. is punk as hell, dude, you know? And I was like, oh, and that's what we need to do. Move ahead. Yeah. And um, they were like, oh, dude, we've done the Beach Boys stuff. Let's move back to Beat Off. And I go, you know, I was just like, no, no, no. Push ahead and see where we can end up with this. Yeah. But it ain't regressing. We don't want to stay on lookout. And we don't want to go back to Beat Off and Weeblos, you know? Yeah. So... Uh, it was kind of a funky time for me, but I, it was hard to leave those guys, but you know, it, it, we, the band got way better. We played now yeah. light years ahead of people who come up to me and say, Oh, I missed the classic lineup. I, you know, I'll be honest with you, Andy, we sucked. It's not, <laughs> I, I mean, I've learned so much more. I'm way better player yeah. and singer now, but yeah. we sucked. We sucked. Yeah, yeah. We, we were very hit or miss and rarely ever got in the, in the group because we were always drinking beer and yeah. or doing Coke, trying to wake up or yeah. we didn't have beer and Coke. And so we didn't feel good. You know, it was very <laughs> hit or miss. And so yeah. once Chris came aboard, I was like, Whoa, that bass is bass guitars locking in with the kick drum. It started, I, I really learned a big lesson there. And then, you know, we got way better and we haven't looked back now. Now we're light years ahead of where we were. Yeah. We really play great. We're getting better every time, you know, yeah. every, every tour we do now. So, um, but uh, anyway, it was, it was kind of weird back then, but yeah. uh, that's, that's how things ended up really. So um, on Beat Off, that's when uh, uh, Dan Panic filled in on drums and was Vapid a part of that too? Yeah, what happened was we were on that tour where those guys were playing with us, and we stopped in Chicago, uh -huh. and after the tour, we were ending in Chicago, and Ben was going to do Beat Off. Hugh yeah. was still on methadone, and he couldn't fly out, and whatever, and Larry wanted us to do an album, so we, we rushed that and moved back home. We should have yeah. waited on both those albums, but anyway, we went in, and... Um, we stopped at Screeching Weasel. We drove over there to their rehearsal spot at Jughead's house yeah. at Wicker Park, I think it was. And, um, and they went in and had a band meeting. and came out and said, all right, the band broke up. You know, we're out of Screeching Weasel. Panic yeah. and vapid. So off we drive. So then we do our tour and a week later come back. Ben's producing the album. He's mad at Pan uh, vapid. We record <laughs> the album, but then Ben didn't want to use vapid's guitar on it. Yeah. Because... You know, it was kind of, 
you know, it was stupid. I should have put my foot down and said no. And then yeah. we used, we took his guitar out to the detriment of the album. And yeah. um, uh, we remixed it back in on the reissue. But um <laughs> But it was yeah. a weird vibe in there with Vapid and Ben not getting along. And it wasn't as much fun as love songs. We should have waited for Hugh. And uh, Panic was a great drummer, but too, a little too busy for the queers. Yeah. Rock, Hugh was rock and roll like me, you know. That yeah. was our basis. And um, so, um, anyway, that's that's what happened there. Yeah. Off, yeah. So then you guys did Move Back Home and Don't Back Down for Lookout. And then that, uh, you wanted to move on from Lookout after that, right? Yeah, well, Hugh got the brain tumor. Me and him right. had gone to rehab, and then, right. and then he got the brain tumor, and he couldn't play. He was going down the tubes, and it was inoperable. I talked yeah. to his parents, and they said he's not going to make it. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Jeez, man. And then B-Face wasn't calling me, and admittedly, I wasn't calling him. I, I was just, the way he had talked to me the last time we drove out to Chicago, calling me delusional and calling me an yeah. asshole. This is after Don't Back Down was out, and I go... You know what? It, it breaks my heart, but I, I knew I I didn't say anything, but I was like, I'm just gonna find a cuff to get new guys for this. Yeah. And um so uh I talked to Lookout, Chris and Molly and and um well Chris or mainly Molly was she didn't want us to leave Lookout. Yeah. And and Larry Livermore and I talked to him and, and, and Chris said I said, Dude, what if we go to Epitaph or, or Hopeless or whatever and they said, with Hugh and B-Face leaving, why don't you go do an album or two and then come on back and yeah. just, you know, get going. And we all decided it was a good time. It wasn't like I left. I talked to Lookout. Yeah. And they said, it's a good time to break away and go do a couple album, you know, album or two and um, come back. So that's how we ended up on Hopeless because Epitaph, we had the three album deal, but Mr. Brett went AWOL with Gina, who I yeah. believe is married to now. They disappeared for about a year. For 12 months, they just, you know, we yeah. were there. They flew us out, met with them. They wanted us. And then I think two weeks later, Brett disappeared and went on a jag of some sort, drinking yeah. or something. I yeah. don't know. But uh, disappeared. So I yeah. called the label. They're like, oh, dude, we can't sign you. We can't sign any labels. We don't even have keys to the front door. Brett yeah. took them. We Jeez. don't know where he is. They were freaking out. Yeah. And so at that point, I just punted and I said, let's just go to Hopeless. And we went over there, which you know, was not a very good deal. But at the time, it was at least they got our records out and um, they didn't really pay us. But, you know, they got the albums out there and we were doing really well touring. And so um, yeah. so we kept going. So that's how we ended up on Hopeless. And how did you how did that happen, though? Like, did 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 you guys know somebody that worked at Hopeless or they get a hold yeah. of you or were? Yeah, I knew Darren and Lewis. Yeah, oh, okay. Lewis through the Nobody's. I had produced the Nobody's first oh, album yeah, for right. Hopeless. Oh, okay. And um so I met him, and of course, Darren left early on. Great guy, and then Lewis, you know, they ended up kind of ripping us off. But I don't know. I just had to let that go. That that deal didn't turn out very good money wise at all. Yeah. And um, but we're still selling tons of albums on Lookout, and um, it is what it is. You know, yeah. it's just like I, I, you know, whatever. But uh, that's that's how we went on Hopeless. I knew yeah. I knew them from the Nobodies and. Uh, well, um, punk rock confidential, like to me, it sounds like that's kind of a step up. You know what I mean? Like it's a little bit better production value and mm. you know songwriting and stuff. To me, anyway, it sounds like does that feel right to you or what? Do yeah, you think about well, that we were we were. It's kind of an extension of Don't Back Down. It took yeah. the Don't Back Down thing and just took it a little step further. I really wanted to bust ass because this was the first time Hugh and B-Face went around, so I had a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. Because they were bad-mouthing me, especially B-Face. And, you know, I'm not to... We're friends now, and it, it just... I understand why he was upset, but, yeah. um, you know, I wanted to go out and prove that I didn't need those jerk-offs to be in yeah. a band. Yeah. And um, that's why, you know, I talked to Ben about it, and he goes, dude, I got a couple songs laying around, and do those idiot savant mother offer and... Um, yeah. So I really tried hard on that. And Chris Fields played on it. Jeff Useless was on bass. And um, 
So that's why we tried really hard. And yeah, it's a great album. It's a great yeah. album. I, I like it. I listen to it sometimes in the van to this day. Yeah, I like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I play I Didn't Puke on my radio show all the time because it's one of the few that doesn't have cussing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's funny. We're talking about playing that song live because it's so fun to play live. Yeah. And uh, we've got so many songs that we don't play. That's why I haven't rushed in to do another yeah. album because we've got like a million songs that are great that we don't even play. So I was yeah. like, damn it, man. But I love I didn't puke. But yeah, the album came out good. I was proud of it. And so far as like, hey, man, I'm just showing B-Face and Hugh. I don't need those. Yeah. I mean, I, I miss them. But if they're yeah. not too hip on my trip, then off you go. You know, I'm playing music, man. I'm a musician. It's what yeah. I wanted to do in high school. I wanted to be in a band and travel around the world and make friends. And I've done it, you know, and that's yeah. what I, all I ever wanted to do. And um, so, uh, you know, B-Face plays, but not too much. And Hugh, of course, Hugh would still be playing if he was around. But me, yeah. I, I never gave it a thought of giving up. I was like, whatever, yeah. you know. And, and I think the band's only gotten better musically since since we moved on from those days. But again, no knock on B-Face and Hugh, they're great musicians, but we just learned so much more every album and touring and all that stuff and seeing yeah. bands. So, um, so yeah, but that's, that's what was going on back then. Um, what do you think about Beyond the Valley? I mean, I love that one too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, that I, mean was, I, I got yeah. into you guys a little bit later, you know what I mean? Like the earlier stuff, I, mm. uh, you know, that's, that's when I got into you guys was Punk Rock Confidential and then Beyond the Valley. And then I went backwards after that. But I really like those two albums a lot, man. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, the uh, Beyond the Valley at that point with Hopeless, I realized they were ripping us off and not paying us. Yeah. And um, so I was pissed at them and I was in a real bad mood living in Exeter. And so I wrote all those songs there and, yeah. you know, just say, nah, Mike, nah, nah. I did it right. deliberately to right. piss them off. I didn't want to give them a commercial, yeah. excuse me, slick <laughs> album. That's why That's awesome. all those songs. I mean, yeah, people ask, people ask. Uh, ben from the Dickies was asking us on the last tour we did with them a few months ago. They're like, he's like, hey man, are you gonna do just say cunt? And I was like, oh dude, man. Or no, Mike, that's not that yeah. it. And I was like, oh yeah. dude, in this this PC day and age, I have no way. But but uh, it's yeah, some of the songs are good. I the I didn't mix the album Earl Mankey did without me there, uh -huh. and so it was a little disjointed. I wish we had. I had mixed it. No knock on Earl, but he did yeah. the best he could. But it really, ne we needed to be there. So it was kind yeah. of a weird mix. But uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I kind of grew to like it. You know, every I think every album has its you know power. And it, it's a lot of people, fans, you know, there's, I don't like Move Back Home and Beat Off that much. And people love those albums. Yeah, so that's um, usually the way it goes, man. You know? Yeah. So I did an interview the other day and the guy's like, Move Back Home is my favorite. And I go, man, <laughs> you know, you just, you just, you know, that album gets a bad rap, but people yeah. love it. So, um, yeah. so anyway, I think with those albums, Beat Off and Move Back Home, if we had waited six months, like Ben Weasel said, and throw those songs together a bit more, they would have been way better. And then also just playing like we do now, we've learned so much more that we could have recorded those two albums a lot better and Beyond yeah. the Valley, I think, too. We redid yeah. it. Um, so, uh, you know, we've got a, a different version of it that we redid and um, we recorded here at my studio. So um, just so we could put it out because Hopeless took everything down off YouTube. And so yeah. we at least put it out in Punk Rock Confidential yeah. Revisited and... Um, Kind of like live in the studios, but at yeah. least there's versions of the songs out there, and you can yeah. hear them on YouTube and stuff. So, so Wimpy wasn't in the band on Beyond the Valley, but he was, but he sang on. Yeah, he came up vegan. to the studio. We did it up in uh, Maine, so it was near close to home. So he came up and helped out on a few songs. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, that's what happened there. Um, I can't remember who the hell played bass on that fucking thing. 
Uh, it was me, Lurch, and I guess Dangerous Dave did the bass. That's right. We sent the tapes out west, and Dave did the bass on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was kind of a disjointed album. But me, me, Lurch from the Nobodies, and um, and Wimpy basically did it with our pal Jim Tierney. So oh, cool. Kind of a weird album, but yeah, it has a sort of energy. A lot of fans, a lot of fans like it. Yeah. So it's kind of funny, but it, for me, it was like complete fuck you to hopeless. That's why I did it. So. Well, that's kind of why I like it because those songs have that kind of like fuck you, you know. And I, I think at, at when I was that age, I was just like kind of mad at things. So I, I don't know. Sure. That's kind yeah. of what I related yeah. to. You know what I mean? So you yeah. did you have a yeah. two two record deal with Hopeless? We had a three album deal, which was stupid. I should have done two. So we did yeah. the live in West Hollywood, oh, okay. which was at the gotcha. Troubadour, and yeah. then and then Beyond the Valley and and uh, Punk Rock Confidential. So uh, and then we did an EP, Everything's Okay EP. Oh, okay. So that was it. Yeah, I couldn't get out of there fast enough, man. Yeah, that sucks, man. I I, yeah. I loved Hopeless back in the day, but didn't know the uh, the workings. You know what I mean? The way you did so. Yeah, it was, I talked to a few ex-employees, a couple of them quit because they were ripping off bands so bad, and, yeah. um, th- you know, it was a bunch of yuppies had invested in the company, and they were like golfing, Volvo-driving weirdo yeah. guys that were not into <laughs> punk, and, and you know, love or hate Fat Mike, you know, he runs a great label, or, or Mr. Right. Brett with Epitaph, they're punk rockers, you know, yeah. and um, so... I don't know, whatever. It was just some stuff works out and some doesn't. I don't yeah. dwell on it, but uh, it didn't work out very well for us. Yeah. So after that, you, you guys did Pleasant Screams. And I mean, were you always going to go back to Lookout or did you guys have to talk to him again to, to, to put that album out with him? Well, unbeknownst to me, they were in their last legs then. So yeah. I was quite excited about doing the album. So, yeah. you know, I thought they would be too. The Queers Return to Lookout. And, yeah. um, and then they were on the way down, and they never really pushed the album. Um, did you guys? Did you know it. they were on the way out? Or no, nobody did. No, I I just was talking to Chris, but he didn't tell me. You know, I still kept in touch with Larry. I knew a little bit through Larry, but I didn't realize the extent. I thought they'd be excited about us coming back, and I I yeah. think they would have been if things were running normally. But they just they weren't running normally. So. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it was kind of a bummer. So when we did Pleasant Screams, they didn't even, you know, do a push for the album. I was really bummed, you know. I was like, yeah. damn, dude, it's the fucking queers back here. It's a good album. And right. um, so it was kind of a bummer. But, um, you know, because that was a great album, I thought, too. I really liked Pleasant Screams. And yeah. um, so, but, yeah, that's what I, I had no idea. And then, you know, then all of a sudden I kind of woke up because they didn't yeah. even do a push for the album. Uh, and... Yeah. Um, so that's when I kind of learned about it and talked to Larry more about it. So it was yeah. kind of sad what happened there, you know. And then that's, I mean, you went back to Mass for that one, right? Yes. Yeah, we went out there to Mass. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We were used to the studio. I, yeah. One thing I wish we had done is just use different studios, but it was just kind of easy. And Oh, gotcha. You know, we, we went friends. there. I mean, I love Mass, but it was he didn't get the punk rock thing with the queers. It was a little yeah. too slick. Yeah. Um, listen to bands like the Riptides. He produces them. Uh-huh. I love the Riptides. I love mass, but I just don't think, you know, it's a good fit because yeah. they're not, you forget the soul of the band. We were yeah. a punk rock band. And, um, so I wish we had gone through different stu- gone to different studios and just every studio has different vibes. And, yeah. You know, so, but anyway, we went back. Yeah, and we, we didn't even work with Mass on that. Um, we worked with Philip Hill. That, oh, okay. That's, we all kind of produced that album ourselves. Yeah. Mass didn't do anything really except come in. He was teaching school at the time, and he'd yeah. come in and like, hey, what's up, and smile and have a dinner break with us. But he didn't yeah. really work on it. Philip Hill engineered that, and we kind of produced it all together. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. We had a ball. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get hooked up with Asian Man Records after Lookout then? I can't remember. We were looking for a label and then Mike hit me up and I had met him when we played with Rance and Skank and Pitbull. Skank and Pickle. <laughs> um, I was going to say Pitbull. Skank and Pitbull. Um, at the, um, in Providence, Rhode Island. And um, 
so anyway, Mike had Asian Man going, and he goes, "Hey Joe, I'd love to, you know, put the albums out." So, so that's how we got on there, and so that worked out good. Though we're kind of grandfathered in because the Asian Man scene is quite different from us, you know, right. Lemuria and Bomb the Music Industry and all cool Andrew Jackson Jihad and cool, cool people and great bands, but yeah. different from what we're doing. Yeah, and um, but we we tour so much that we've kind of got our as long as you put the albums out and they're available, they'll sell. And and um, and Mike's real organized, so I don't know. I I uh, I see Black Flag and the Dickies are on Slope Records. This guy Tom runs that out of Phoenix. Uh-huh. So I've got to talk to Mike Park because I don't know if we're going to do our new album on Asia Man uh-huh. or if it would be better for us to go over to a label like Slope, where you know some of those older punk rock bands like us are playing. Yeah. And, um, but I got to talk to Mike, but that's, you know, the great thing is that Mike's like a brother to me. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he wants what's best for the band. He'll have younger bands on his label that he'll try to get better deals for them. So they'll yeah. leave the label, not because he wants them to, but because he wants the bands to do good. Yeah. That's how Mike operates. Yeah, so, cool. um, you know, I could call up and say, what do you think? Should we do it on Asia man? Or should we do, you know, maybe go with Slope or Cleopatra or some other label that would probably put it out. And so, yeah. you know, I got to talk to him about that. So, but that's, I mean, you know, is it any cooler than saying a story like that? That's how yeah. Mike operates, you <laughs> know, totally one of the cool. best guys I've ever met. And, and yeah. that's kind of like how Larry Livermore was too. Yeah. You know, yeah, great guys. So, yeah. Do, yeah. Whose idea so, was it to re release all the albums on Asia Man with different covers? Uh, Mike, well, we were going to put them, keep them in print on Asia Man. And then Mike came up with the idea of doing the different album covers, yeah. which I, I, I liked it, but they kind of started all running into, they were a little too similar. I, oh, I thought they yeah. were nice, but yeah. it, we wanted something that was different from the, to show it was a different pressing. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, we remixed it which and remastered them, which was a huge cost and expense. And about the time we got done with everything and, uh, you know, CDs stopped selling, Asian Man stopped selling CDs. And it was like, yeah. oh, man, it was a kind of a waste of time. And then, yeah. of course, you get the people like, oh, the... <laughs> Joe Queer remixed the vocals on All Screwed Up, and they're so much worse now than on the original. And, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, shut up, will you? And um, so um, it kind of sucked. But that's, you know, we just wanted to keep them in print there. Yeah. So um, I was excited, man. I, I have a couple of them for sure. Yeah, yeah. And they're, you know, Mike would do them on different, different, you know, keep them to 500 or something like that in the vinyl yeah. and then do different colored vinyls so that you know the collectors have to get all of them so it worked out pretty good the artwork i kind of wish we had just stuck with the original artwork yeah um but um you know it is what it is so right. that that kid was a very good kid that did the art but then you know these guys started calling me a racist and we got into all this 100 percent bullish but you uh. know um and the kid was like, he quit as the queer's official artist. I'm like, oh, dude, will you shut up? I haven't even <laughs> I met you once. You're a good kid, but I never you're not our official artist. And um, yeah, so uh, but you know what I mean? Whatever it's if it's negative, you know, a liar gets halfway around the world before the truth puts its shoes on. They say, you know, yeah. and that's anything negative. Um, you know, you need a, you need a thick skin. Matt Freeman told me that years ago. He goes, "Dude, yeah. you need a thick skin to be in this business," and yeah. um, and it's still true, if not even more so these yeah. days with this no PC kidding. culture going running rampant. Yeah. So, um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So yeah, I was glad we had that in print. Now, Asian Man's not selling CDs. So, um, uh, Rad Girlfriend Records. Now, our friend Josh Goldman from uh-huh. the Raging Nathans, uh, uh, he's doing all our CDs. So we still have all our CDs in print. So oh, we're cool. able to sell them on tour. And so yeah. they still sell on tour, you know, yeah. we still sell CDs and stuff. So, yeah. um, so that's, what's going on there. So that's cool. Um, I was going to, I wanted to ask about like, did you, how much did you get with over the years because of your name, the queers? I mean, it's gotta be, I mean, it, it had to have happened, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. The Nazis didn't like it in the early days. Um, in the early days we'd get gay guys and gals that would show up just cause they, you know, thought we were pro gay, like yeah. Pansy division. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, we'd get we'd get when we were out on tour with Rancid. They they drew a, I don't know what they draw now, type of crowd, but it was a, a lot of meathead dudes. Yeah, and uh, and they didn't like it, and uh, and we toured with GBH maybe 10 years ago in Brazil. And, uh-huh. and a lot of those meathead fans, you know, kind of the same as the rancid side of the street. They didn't like it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we get this. And then, and then now from the PC crowd, we had some kids were picketing me at some little podunk town show a few years ago. And they were like saying that we're homophobic because our name is a put down of, homosexuals or something right. i don't know you know right. what i mean with these kids it's like you you can't you're damned if you do if you're damned yeah. if you don't it's yeah, like oh absolutely. dude where were you when i was getting jumped by nazis years ago you know then they called me a nazi yeah. oh that's you know whatever it's like yeah. oh my god come on i'm so liberal i'm off the nick off i'm so far to the left i'm off the cliff and they call me a nazi and it's yeah. like oh my god dude but uh yeah we got we got the year sure we did yeah but uh it was always a name people would remember, though, you know? That was yeah. the cool thing with the name, the queers, Black Flag, the yeah, Dead Kennedys, totally. Circle Jerks. You remember yeah. the band names, the Dickies, yeah. you know? So we were lucky we got a name that people people remember, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Um, last time we talked, you talked about um, talking to uh, Joey Ramone a lot and his solo album. And didn't you and Ben uh, have something to do with some of those songs, or am I mistaken? We, no, we, I got to be pals with Joey. I knew him, like, I knew Joey. Kevin Kesey, our first early bass player, mm-hmm. one of our first early bass players when I started playing in Boston, he knew the Ramones. I think he worked at BCN, Kevin did. He was one of these guys that would always get backstage at shows and fish, yeah. and he knew the Ramones. <laughs> and, like, yeah. one time, Dee Dee Ramone flew up to do an interview at WBCN, and Kevin picked him up at the airport. And, you know, so so we opened up for the Ramones. And so I was friends with Joey through the years. He always knew who the queers were. Yeah. And... um so I got to be pals with him towards the end of it. The last few years of his life, he would call me a lot on the phone and we'd talk just like me and you were talking. Yeah. And um, he'd always call around 10 in the morning. And um, so that's how I befriended him. And then he asked me to work on songs for a solo album because he said they weren't. He goes, I don't have enough strong stuff. Yeah. Um, excuse me what a wonderful world and maria bartiromo were on a certain level and then mr punchy and the other stuff was on a different one and i know a lot of people if i say that to people they're like i love every song on that album (laughs) but joey knew he said people will tell me it's the best thing since rocket to russia but he goes deep down i know it's i need stronger stuff yeah and so joey it's a long story but he had sent us a cassette tape of slug years and years ago probably in 1985 when he wanted to cover love 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 he sent us the song slug which johnny didn't want to put on end of the century Uh. and he said you guys should do slug and we would play slug around boston in the mid 80s the queers we play around we play slug Uh and say it's by the ramones and no one believed us because they were like there was no unreleased ramones songs it was funny but anyway um so he on that cassette tape I told him this story too. It was pretty funny. Um, after the song played on that cassette tape, Slug, um, it was him playing. All of a sudden, it was a cassette he had laying around, and it was him working on guitar, working on a song called I Want to Be Happy. Uh-huh. And so uh, he mentioned that, and I said, Oh, dude, do you remember the song I Want to Be Happy? Which he said he did. And um, it was only the verses. And then one day, me and Ben were sitting around at his house, and I said, hey, Dude, let's finish this song. And we, we yeah. wrote it in about 20 minutes yeah. and then by the time we got it done uh joey was too sick to sing anymore so yeah. we we never finished that song but in the back of our minds it was for a solo album and i think it would i want to be happy would have been a killer song for a yeah. solo album yeah. so that's what happened there we never i wish i was more involved but um yeah. You know, I was, I was, I just wasn't around as much, but uh, yeah, Joey was such a, such a great guy and still, you know, I think I mentioned it last time we were talking, it was like, you know, I realized after a while, we'd always talk music and what got him out of bed in the morning wasn't how rich he was or how much money he had or 
apartments or girls he'd fuck or drug yeah. you know it was about music he yeah. really loved music and um so it was it was really cool and um and that's how i you know cj and richie asked me to go down to south america with them in january and play a ramon set oh, three yeah, piece cool. i think and um you know i we were on tour and we i'd sang with cj uh in new york city we played the boat cruise in new york city and that uh -huh. night our promoter did both shows he did cj's show i ran over there and cj had me sing two songs on stage and then we're talking about south america and you know, there I was at five in the morning. I woke up and I started thinking about that thing. And I was just so excited, like what songs we could play and blah, blah. And I go, here I am, 60 something years old. Yeah. And I'm like a teenage kid yeah. going to see the Ramones or something. I'm still so excited about yeah. music, man. Dude. And I go, this is kind of what I wanted to do, man. You know, yeah. so it's been a real dream come true. I, uh, but, um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was watching a, a YouTube video uh, of you guys playing overseas, and it was like 2012 or something, and I noticed that Bear was playing drums for you, and I was like, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he, Ezekiel. He, yeah. Yep. He played, uh, um, he's in a band called Sitting and Waiting, and they played at uh, the brewery that I'm part owner of in, in Carson City last year. And I remember oh. uh, playing shows with him back in the day at uh, in Sacramento as well when he was in Final Summation. I just was like, how random it was to watch you guys and then know a guy in the band. I was like, what the hell? This is weird. Yeah, we've had <laughs> different guys. We've, you know, we don't make a ton of money. And, yeah. and people, you get married like and had a kid like Bear did. You know, I love playing with Bear. Great. Yeah great band but he could you know and he got his teaching certificate yeah. so so he he did such a great job i love touring with bear just yeah. a, one of the best guys i played with but yeah. we've had a lot of guys like him that would stick around for a year or two and then and, and i could call bear right now and say bear can you fill in for the show this winter and he'd be right on it you yeah. know if it was a weekend or something yeah. so that's a cool thing yeah. but uh dave trevino salsa man we called him he played with me and philip he was a great drummer again got married had a kid yeah. and um you know we see him when we pass through fort wayne so you know it, it, it's really different people coming in touring with us really brings something different yeah. everybody brings a little something different and um it doesn't get stale yeah and they're excited to be there. So that's, that's cool. the main thing. Now, my lineup now with Hoglog on drums and Cheeto on bass uh -huh. and Ginger, our roadie guitar player, you know, we really have hit us, you know, hit our stride and we're yeah. really playing good and the shows are getting better. And um, so we're always, always excited to play together. And so, but with people like Bear and Salsman and Philip, and uh, I had a lot of fun. I miss most of those guys yeah. I played with. I, I miss yeah. all of them. But, you know, everybody's doing good. They just went on, and Dave's getting Dangerous Dave on bass. He played for years. He's getting married, got a good job. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything, everybody's turned out pretty damn good. It's just that, you know, I can't fault them if they don't want to, you know, slog along over yeah, in Europe half it. the year and all that. I get it. But, yeah. you know, to me, I'm a musician. So if I'm playing, you know, look at Marky. He's 70 years old. Marky Ramon, he's still yeah. playing. CJ, Richie, me, Dusty Watson, you know, he's playing with the Sonics. He plays yeah. with everybody. Um, you know, we're all still playing. And the Dickies, you know, yeah. it's just like, hey, man, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I just love playing. So, um yeah. But yeah, Bear. Yep, great guy. Great guy. We did some killer tours together with Bear. Yeah, <laughs> great cool. guy to tour with. Well, I uh, really appreciate you talking to me again. Um, I know that you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you spending the time. But I want to say that the uh, the Queers were easily one of the most influential punk bands in my life, and I <laughs> am very like excited and. Uh, honored to to talk to you joe i really appreciate it oh man I, you know it's not a job at all i i enjoy doing it and um you know i appreciate the kind words but yeah. uh yeah i told you andy i'm playing november 9th i think it is danny secretion's 50th birthday in sacto yeah. i don't know i'm hoping bear will be there by yeah. the way and um i don't know if you're close enough or whatever oh, but i'm close I, enough 
I don't. I Danny's going to announce it. I think this week. I yeah. think is that the Kensington or something. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, it's going to be a big shindig. So if you can make it, man, come on yeah. down. That's going to be a fun time. They're, Definitely. I'm. They're flying me out. I'm playing with the Moans, yeah. and they're coming up with a set list. It's a queers pop set list. So he, they're coming up with a set list, and 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 I'm going to oh, play yeah. with them. So I'm looking forward to doing a whole bunch of stuff. We never play, man, but it'll That's be awesome. fun. So. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, I will yeah. definitely, definitely uh, head to Sacramento for that. How cool was that interview, dude? Oh, man. I did not head to Sacramento. I'm sure I had a uh, good reason for not going. Oh, well, I didn't get to meet Joe in person, but talking to him was amazing, dude. I can't believe he actually wanted to talk to me, and he did. And uh, he's just a normal dude who loves punk rock, just like us, with an awesome, awesome history. I did not know a lot of that stuff about him. So anyway, thanks for listening. Go to JustPunkEnough.com. And you can check out the full episode with music there. Thanks for joining me.